Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. There's an age-old question um, and one that's probably going to divide us. And so I'm extremely hesitant to ask that question. But... But I must. By raise of hand, how many think that the glass is half empty? Good. Raise a hand, how many think the glass is half full? Raise your hand if you didn't raise your hand at all. <laughs> That's about three quarters of the people in here. I recently saw an age-old question explode into even more diverse questions. Okay, so this question of half empty and half full. And it said, for optimists, they would say the glass is half full. While the pessimists would say the glass is half empty. For the realists, they would say, yep, that's a glass, all right. While the idealists would say, one day, cold fusion from a glass of water will provide unlimited energy and end war. The capitalists would say, you know what, if I put a new AG name on this bottle, we could sell it for tons of money. The communists would say this drink belongs to every single one of us, equal in measure. The conspiratists would say, you know, the government is pumping fluoride in here to do something to our brains and control us eventually. While the sexist would say, this glass isn't going to fill itself, honey bun. I wouldn't recommend you, you ever say that. The nihilist would say, the glass doesn't exist and neither do I. And the opportunist would say, you know, there's a funny t-shirt in here somewhere. It's the same thing, it's just a different perspective. This is the context as as we jump into the Gospels in the next four weeks, we need to understand it is the same scenes, just a different perspective. And as we try to wrap our mind from going from the Old Testament over the last nine months into the New Testament, we transitioned this last week with the book of Malachi. And if you weren't here with us, I highly recommend you listen to the podcast on Malachi as we laid out the historical contextual setting that Jesus is entering into. It was a very difficult time in the people of God's history. Religiously, politically, culturally, things were at a bit of an upheaval, and the people were desperately waiting for the words of the prophet to be fulfilled, that a Messiah would come, a person of God would come, and to redeem the people. But then there was all sorts of questions around who this Messiah was. What would he look like, or she? What kind of king would he be? Would he be a military leader? Would he be a great priest? Would it actually be God coming to us? And in all these questions, and in this difficult age, a peasant from Galilee begins to travel around the countryside teaching people about the kingdom of God, healing diseases and casting out demons into this powder keg that was the first century Palestine, the man known to history as Jesus of Nazareth would begin his ministry. 
so the Gospels themselves are a classic example of the same scene and different perspective. Each of the Gospels, what they are trying to do is attempt to tell the story of Jesus from a different perspective. And this doesn't mean it contradicts himself. In fact, it gives us a fuller perspective into who Jesus is. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at Mark and Matthew and John and Luke. So take a look at the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21. Now, I'm sure somebody's wondering in here, here we go again. The hippie liberal pastor is trying to change around the order of the Bible. Okay, so why are we starting with the book of Mark first? Well, historically, it was written first. In fact, what we'll learn from Matthew and Luke is that Matthew and Luke used Mark to help pen part of their Gospels. And so Mark was written probably about 30 years before the rest of the Gospels. And Mark offers a very unique perspective into the life of Jesus. Mark was most likely written by a man named John Mark, who was a disciple of Peter. And what biblical historians study the Gospel of Mark, we see the influence of Peter in the Gospels. Why? Because the disciples are always presented as idiots in the, in the Gospel of Mark. And a lot of biblical historians say that is Peter still feeling the guilt of betraying his Lord three times. And we'll encounter yet another story today of how Peter is just a bumbling idiot in the Gospels. And so Mark is going to offer us a unique perspective into Jesus. And that will be what we'll take away from today. So Mark chapter 5 verse 21. And it goes like this. When Jesus again had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake. Let's stop there. I'm going to be that guy this morning. We read like five words, right? Jesus coming from? It says Jesus is returning to the other side of the lake. That's an important question, and it's absolutely essential when you and I read Scripture to understand the context of Scripture. It is all too easy in lazy Christianity to take a verse that makes us feel so good about life, and to take it completely out of context and not understand the fullness that is of Scripture. And we can do that often in the story of Jesus. So what is going on with Jesus in this text? Context, context, context. Jesus puts the disciples in the boat. They go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You know this story. You remember what happens along the way? A horrible storm comes, right? And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the bow of the boat. And the disciples are screaming bloody murder. They think they're going to die. Jesus awakens from this. He speaks a few words, looks at them and says, You have little faith. The storm subsides and they cross to the other side. You know what they did when they get to the other side? Jesus encounters encounters a man that says he is possessed by a legion of demons. Jesus cast out the demon from this man. This man's life is transformed. He commissions the man to go back into this town to preach of the kingdom of God. Then Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat and they come to the other side, which is where we find ourselves today. We learn something amazing about Jesus just by understanding that story. That Jesus is willing to risk the life of the disciples. He's willing to risk his own life for what? For one stinking man. That tells us a lot about the love of God. That God is willing to sacrifice time and energy and effort for one man. One man. That should tell us something profound about the love of Jesus. And so we need to understand that Jesus just transformed a life. It's important for us to understand that that is the context we are walking into the story this morning. Because Jesus is going to do it again for two people. Mark 
chapter 5, verse 21 says this again. When Jesus again crossed over by the boat to the other side uh, of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. When Jesus gets back from the other side, we see that Jesus is gaining a huge reputation. People are beginning to understand him to be this great healer. However, this story takes a weird twist because it says a synagogue leader named Jairus comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. The synagogue was kind of, think of it as like the local church in Jesus' day. There was different synagogues in different places, and the synagogue ruler would have kind of acted like a pastor. He would have led the people in worship, he would have prayed, he would have helped them in their times. And so it tells tells us something profound about the reputation of Jesus that this religious leader comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. And it's a very difficult story that for many of us it immediately pricks at our heart. He proclaims to Jesus that his 12-year-old daughter is is dying. So at the feet of Jesus he's begging him to help him. He is hoping that his reputation precedes him. When we think about some of the famous people in, in the world, their acts and their choices really define them. Think about when you hear the name JFK, you either think of one of two things. One, his speech, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Or we think of what? His fatal assassination. When you hear the name Rosa Parks, you, you think of the courage of this woman to not go to the back of the bus when she is told and instead sits there and is arrested. When we think about Mother Teresa, we probably think of service and humility. When we think about Bill Shakespeare, we probably think of Romeo and Juliet and the sonnets. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Little Night Music, The Marriage of Figaro, we think of these. When you think of like Channing Tatum, you think of him like on the Magic Mike poster, right? Think about the actions that precede us. What about Steven Spielberg? When think about Steven Spielberg. What about Robert Plant? If you really don't know who Robert Plant is... You just hit me right there. I actually won tickets the other day for what they are calling the greatest Led Zeppelin cover band is coming to the D-Pack a couple months from now. One free tickets for it. You can pay me the right price to go with me. I have two tickets. Jennifer doesn't care about it. <laughs> you think about our actions, the things we do in our life is what defines us. As the great headmaster of Hogwarts once put it, it is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Jesus' reputation is important for us to understand understand. It's important for us to see and to know that Jesus is known as this person of miracles and healing because it's going to transform the people we understand moving forward. And Mark especially wants us to know this because beyond any other gospels in the New Testament, Mark emphasizes the healings and miracles of Jesus beyond any. It's actually the shortest gospel. The longest gospel is the gospel of Mark. It's roughly 19,482 words. Not roughly. I kind of gave you the exact number there. Mark is only 11,304 words, yet Mark has more miracle stories, more healing stories than the rest of the Gospels. Mark is trying to tell us something fascinating about Jesus, that Jesus is a miracle worker, that Jesus is a healer. But what many of us probably don't understand is that Jesus wasn't the only one doing miracles and healing in this time. Other people were doing it. In fact, it was an acceptable trade. But what made Jesus do it differently was two things. One is he wasn't charging people for it. We like free stuff, right? And the other thing was that he was doing it in the name of God. 
And so Jesus sets himself apart. And the story picks up in verse 24. It says, A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she only got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt that in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the people of crowd uh, against us, his disciples answered. Yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, trembling with fear, and told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I look how Mark is so detailed in his text. He wants to know it's very important that we know the gender of this woman. A woman. In first century Palestine, women were considered to be second, third class citizens. And Mark wants us to know immediately that a woman is a central figure in the life of Jesus. This woman matters to God. And she's sick. She's not just sick, you know, like cough, cough. She's been sick for 12 years. And it tells us that her sickness has impoverished her. She has literally spent everything she had to cure her body, yet nothing has cured her. And the other thing is she's walking around with a sense of embarrassment. In Jesus' day, for someone to have blood on them, they were considered to be unclean. So no one would want to be around her because if they touched her, they would be considered unclean. And because she was unclean, she was unable to enter into the synagogue and the worship places. So the message message to her is that you don't matter to God. That's the context of our story. For 12 years she has suffered. She suffered the full age of Jairus's daughter. That's a long time. Can you connect with this woman? I wonder if we can recognize and embrace the things that cause sickness and brokenness in our life. And maybe you don't use that type of terminology, but I want you to consider the conflict fracturing, the disappointment, the setbacks, the bad choices, the failures of our life. Consider your various relationships, work, finances, family, dreams. All these things can experience brokenness and sickness. And oftentimes these things aren't obvious. They manifest themselves in our relationships and our choices and our lifestyles. But more often than not, they, they, they manifest themselves deep within us. It's a soul sickness, a soul brokenness from choices we have made or choices of other people. And without even knowing it and recognizing it and embracing it, we can find ourselves at various levels where this woman is. We recognize this woman is in need. She recognizes she needs Jesus. I wonder if we can recognize in our need, our brokenness, our sickness, that the love of Jesus desires to radically change our lives. Can you embrace that, whatever level you might be at?
call me old school, um, but I find Steve Martin to be one of the funniest people who've ever lived. I will take the movie The Jerk, The Three Amigos, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels over any comedy that has come out in the last few years. I've read both his books. Yes, you can consider me just to be a dork. Uh, And I I find it disappointing that he loves his music career more than his film career. However, um, Steve Martin in all his greatness is a textbook introvert. And uh, no better way does this come out than how he responds when people want to take a picture with him or an autograph with him. And so to his adoring fans, he gives them this card. This certifies that you have personally encountered with me, that you find me to be warm, polite, intelligent, and funny, signed Steve Martin. In my opinion, this really fits into the vein of his humor, but it can be somewhat viewed as cold, impersonal, and distant. Jesus is the antithesis of Steve Martin as he encounters this woman. I love this passage. There are people pressing all around him, yet Jesus stops in this moment because he wants to know this person. This tells us something significant about Jesus. He wants to know the person that has touched him. He wants to know the soul that has invaded into his life. He wants to know. This tells us something significant about Jesus. Again, remember how I said that the disciples are always looking like... like idiots in the gospel of Mark. Well, Peter shows himself here. In the gospel of Luke, it tells us that Peter's the one that pipes up and essentially says, "Uh, Jesus, people are pressing all around us. Like, how are we supposed to know who is it? I I picture Peter, like, wanting to really say this. Come on, are you serious? Who touched me? James and John have been in my personal space the last 20 minutes. There's some sort of creepy farmer back here with no teeth that's been fondling my rear end as we've been walking through this crowd. Who has touched me? But in Instead, he just simply asks, are you serious? But this tells us something significant about Jesus. A lot of you are going to be picturing a creepy farmer with no teeth fondling somebody's rear end for the rest of the time. Stay with me. Rabbit trails. Jesus isn't a celebrity messiah. He's not seeking fame and fortune and power. Jesus is a servant messiah. That's what Mark wants us to know about Jesus. Above anything else in the Gospel of Mark, Mark wants us to know that Jesus is a servant Messiah. He wants to know this woman. He wants to serve this woman. He wants to humble himself so that this woman can be lifted up. This tells us something profound about the spirit of Jesus that he desires to serve others. And this carries over in verse 35. It says, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus and said to the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother teaching the teacher anymore? And upon hearing this, Jesus said, do not be afraid, just believe. Holy crap, we forgot about Jairus' daughter. I forgot about her. Did you forget about her? Y'all forgot about her. We forgot about her in this amazing story, right? And Mark wants us to, to see the, 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 the details in the spirit of this joyous moment of this woman being healed, we forgot about how the story started. It was a girl dying. And Jesus, in such confidence, looks at them and says, Don't worry. Let's go take care of this now. I wonder, for many of us, if we consider if we can fit in with Jairus. That for many of us, we have been waiting patiently for God to do something in our life something horrible happens in the waiting. 
You see, I like to believe that Jairus is trying to be very patient with Jesus in this moment. He is trying to believe that this is an encouragement, that if Jesus can heal this woman, surely he can help my daughter. And so while he's standing there in the interim, his daughter dies. And for many of us, that's the struggle of our faith journey right now. There has been tragedy after tragedy, setback after setback, and we are left wondering, where is God in all of this? What is God doing that we had to wait and suffer because of this? And that brings us to a place to become cynical and critical, to be fearful and doubtful. But Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, ignore these guys. Don't be afraid. If you just believe and have faith, I'll heal your girl. I love, it says that Jesus gets to the house and people are outside the house, like wailing and and screaming. And Jesus insensitively looks at them and says, stop wailing. She's just sleeping. That's what Jesus says to these people. Like Captain Sensitive right there, right? Stop wailing. She's only sleeping. And the mourners' response is they literally laugh at Jesus. And Mark concludes the story in verse 41 with this saying, He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Ka'um, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. I think this is one of the most beautiful stories in all the Gospels. Because it it shows us the true nature and character of Jesus. Jesus is like a celebrity walking around. People want to be around him. They want to touch him. Yet Jesus takes time to heal this woman. And as if that wasn't like cool enough, Jesus resurrects this little girl from the dead. And so Mark wants us to know that Jesus is a servant Messiah, but Mark also wants us to know that Jesus is a miraculous Messiah. Jesus is a miraculous Messiah who takes broken things and makes them whole. He takes dead things and puts them into life. And maybe we need to hear that this morning. That Jesus is a God who has the authority to transform lives. And it's not always in the ways that we expect. Sometimes we are going to face circumstances in our life that despite how much faith we have, things are going to happen and they're going to happen in ways that we don't want. And God is present with us in that suffering. God is present with us in that brokenness. God is there because he desires to take his compassion and his hope and to transform us in the darkest places of our life. For all of us, we find that there is sickness and brokenness within and around us. Again, you might not use that terminology. I don't mean for that to sound derogatory, but there's things going on within our life that need healing. And Jesus has the authority to heal you, to heal me. Jesus has the authority to bring life back into dead places. And I think this is the beautiful thing about God's love. We can get lost so much in the religiosity of Americanized Christianity that we miss out on the beautiful and radiant love of God. It can't fit in a box. We can't define it. 
We can't set up religious boundaries and political boundaries and cultural boundaries that God's love cannot overcome in order to transform us by his radiant love, by his radiant compassion, by his radiant mercy within us. And so this is a story. It's an invitation to be served and healed by Christ. And so I pray this morning, as you wrestle with those areas of your life, those areas of conflict and brokenness and hurting, are you willing to simply reach out and touch Christ for healing? What are you holding back from? What's keeping you from reaching out and touching him? Christ says if we simply have faith as small as a tiny seed... I think the other thing I want us to see from the story this morning is this. When we step into the invitation of Jesus to be served and to be healed, it turns into a commission to go be a person of service, to go be a person of healing. As we are called to follow Christ, as we are called to follow in his footsteps, we see that Jesus is a person of service. What did Jesus say? That the greatest in the kingdom of God would be what? most humble servant of all. And so I wonder what is keeping you from serving others? What in your life is preventing you from truly humbling yourself and allowing the compassion and hope and joy of Christ to overflow out of your life into the lives of others? Who is Christ calling you to serve? Who is Christ calling you to heal? What relationships and conflicts does God desire for you to step into and to bring transformation? Are we like the crowd that's holding back Jesus from touching someone's lives? And how can we step out of the way this morning by making ourselves available to do that? Mark invites us to follow Jesus. Are you willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.